You are listening to Ball Side Goal Side, putting coaches in a better position. Hosted by Ed Heberling and Eric Dabransky. If you enjoy our show, please follow and subscribe to our weekly podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor FM. Also, follow us on social media on Twitter at ball underscore goal underscore side and on Instagram on ball side goal side. All right, back here on ball side goal side for another exciting episode. Uh, Eric, hope all's well with you down in South Florida. Um, things are going well up here for me and you, Tom. Really excited about today's guest. I think you and I really, I mean, We've always had a personal connection, I think, to all of our guests um, and the topics, but really excited about this one with uh, John Husek from T- Texas A&M International and the Laredo Heat uh, Soccer Club. Yeah, I've, I've known John for a long time now, since his time at Andrew College, and then his transition to, as an assistant at University of West Florida with a good friend of mine, Joe Barlinski, as head coach, and then now uh, him taking over his own program at a D2 uh, Texas A&M International. Uh, really excited about the topic as well. You know, I think it's something that, that it's something that you and I have experienced at, at different places. And I think it's something that every single one of us coaches experiences. It's, it's that initial taking over a program, taking over a club team, taking over a team in general, and kind of those, those aspects that really go into that transition because you're either a coach that's taking over a program that needs to be built. So you're either like a, a club team, a club coach that's coming in to create a age group team or, you know, get teams to create that age group or a college coach that's coming in to recruit that, you know, team, or you're coming into a club team that's already been there or you're coming into a college team that's already been there. So, you know, really those aspects that come into restructuring a program, you know, the, 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 you know, aspects that, what you have to value, you know, those things that, that the tasks at hand when you initially take over. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been one of those things for me, you know, as I, I, I've said before in the past, like I, I've had to start three programs and rebuild a few programs as well. And, and I'm looking forward to this because there are so many challenges when you come into it and you gotta, you gotta approach them carefully and you gotta make sure that, that what you're doing is right. And, and by the players, by the, club you know if it's in a club or by the college you know there's there's just certain things that you that you have to look out for so um you know really excited about it i think it's a challenge for all of us coaches um looking forward to get john's insight um because he has been at a few different levels and and you know hopefully we can uh you know learn something good from him here today yeah i know it's i know it's a broad topic in regards to there's so many there's no there's not always a right way or wrong way but obviously that that foundation and that philosophy that goes into when you take over, you know, at any level. And I think, I think, you know, we're probably going to cover a number of different things within the the discussion and the topic, but you know, what relates to everybody at their level and and kind of their situations. So I, like I said, you've done it. I've had to do it. John's done a number of times. All of us coaches are always going to have some sort of new experience, um, you know, at at various levels. So uh, looking forward to it. All right, back here on ball side, goal side. Uh, excited to uh, be talking to John Husack, uh, head coach down at Texas A&M International. Uh, John, how you doing today? Good, Ed. Good. Thanks for having me, Eric. Good to see you again. Always a pleasure. 
Yeah. I'm glad you were able to jump on with us. I know we've been trying to get you on for a little bit here, John. So uh, glad our schedules could kind of uh, combine here, find a good time. I know uh, is Hurricane Laura beating down on you right now? No, we're 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 right on the border of Mexico, pretty inland near the well, not near the desert, in the desert. So we're pretty we're pretty safe in that sense. Um, but yeah, it got big, and uh, when they don't turn, you always think about it, right? You always kind of think, could it make it to us? But you know, we're hoping that everybody else is safe that, that kind of got hit. And I know we had my wife's in-laws that moved into uh, Baton Rouge. So they got smacked by it right away. But uh, everybody seems to be doing all right from from what I've heard that of people I know. So that's, you know. that's good to hear then. Yeah. Uh, so, John, if you could, um, you know, people are probably wondering why, how do you know about hurricanes if you're in, uh, near the Mexico border? Um, but if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, that might give them a little uh, answer as to why you're familiar with it. Yeah, uh, my hurricane knowledge comes from growing up in Canada all my life. Uh, no, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I'm, I was born and raised in Canada. Um, and, you know, it, it took a little while to make it down in the U.S. And I was, you know, lucky enough to, to meet an American girl. Um, and she she was part of the reason, or actually the main reason, I did move to the U.S. Um, and I started off down in Florida, um, just as a simple high school teacher and, and coaching club soccer. And, uh, you know, through networking and, and people you meet and people you coach with, I got my first opportunity at the University of North Florida, uh, helping with the goalkeepers on the women's side. And then from there, you know, being in that environment with with Robin, who who really kind of kept me going in the, in the coaching uh, world, um, moved on to a junior college in Georgia called Andrew College, small, 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 um, private junior college. Those are pretty rare these days, um, and that's kind of where I really, you know got a taste for kind of everything and, and really having to put all you have into your program. Um, and, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, I, I was successful there and, and reestablishing the program that was a little bit uh, broken, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, all the hard work kind of paid off because I ended up uh, getting an opportunity with, with Joe Bart, um, Joe Bartolinski down at the University of West Florida and being his assistant, uh, which was a pretty unreal experience. Um, I know Eric, you know Joe, and you guys are mm -hmm. pretty close too. So yep. um, that was, you know, I would I would honestly say pretty life-changing opportunity in terms of being able to go to a program like that and be in that environment. And then from there, um, was able to move down here to Laredo, Texas at, at Texas A&M International. Um, taking over another program here that that needs a little bit of help but um, they seem to have a lot of the a lot of the good things that that could make a, a successful program so uh, that's kind of the the backstory you know I, I from from before my time in America I, I grew up in Canada you know playing soccer which is not the common thing right we were supposed to grow up playing hockey and things like that but um, you know, I can skate, I can shoot a puck, I can stick handle and all that fun stuff, but um, soccer was my sport. So uh, got into coaching up there, coaching college men, actually up in, up in Canada and uh, 
turned a program around up there actually that was completely decimated um and and then that kind of just led to coaching college now so it's been a whirlwind but it's it's been a, a career that started in the college level when i was 22 years old so and that's the thing i think John, obviously, I've known you since your Andrew College days and, and recruiting and, and spending every day on the road and, and spending every day at every event and things like that. Um, and then even just the various levels you've been at, you know, Ed, Ed and I and you have started programs. We've taken over programs that, that you know, were coming off different type of seasons, whether they were successful or, or not successful and looking to turn that corner. Um, so that's something that, you know, Ed and I have always, you know, appreciated from our guests is just that various experience at different levels, high school, college, club, you know, junior college. And then on top of that, the various different levels of, I guess, the um, I'm missing a word. It's, it's like the what your resources are, you know. So from like Andrew College, obviously your, your resources were fairly minimum, uh, minimal. Yeah, and then yeah. you go to, you know, a top you know, five top 10 division two program with Joe Barlinski at, at West Florida, you know, um, a program that's won national championships. So it's, it's, you know, it's that you've gotten uh, you've gotten a taste and a look at each, each kind of level and now being a head coach yourself at a division two program. When you took over Andrew, obviously, like I said, like I mentioned, the resources are different. And then now at Texas A&M International. And the reason I compare those two is because those are head coaching experiences it you know what are some of the aspects of the program that that you address immediately like what's you know we all get to programs like when i was at johnson wales ed started his programs we get there and we have tasks that are just immediate on our on our on our to-do list that it's like hey these need to get done whether they're physical tasks whether it's just kind of like you know kind of rearranging things or it's it's making phone calls doing different things to you what are some of the aspects that coaches need to need to kind of maybe address as soon as they get into taking over. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely varies from, um, from program to program. So the, the needs at Andrew college were a lot different than the needs here at, at Texas, Texas A&M international. So um, for example, when I got to Andrew college, uh, very, very small, availability of resources and, and budget and things like and things like that so um it was pretty much a one-man staff right and then you had to go out and find volunteers and things like that and to bring a volunteer to Cuthbert Georgia is a little tricky um so you know looking looking back uh to that the the kind of the need there that I identified right away was just because because of the circumstances uh was recruiting um, I had to, I had to start off right away. There was, I got hired in April and I had until July, uh, to recruit a full team basically. So that was four months, three months, three and a half months, give or take, um, to recruit 16 players essentially. Um, and that's late in the recruiting season. If, if, if you kind of, you know, if people know what the college recruiting seasons look like, um, you know, coming into Texas A&M International, uh, the things I identified right away that that kind of, you know, you need to address immediately is your staff and then your culture. So if if 
coming here, we had a lot of players returning. So my biggest thing was taking them from the culture that they had, which, you know, had a lot of negative connotation from when I did talk to a lot of the players and do the, do my digging and, and my, my questioning of, of people around the area and things like that. Um, I had to change the culture and the, and the mindset of the players immediately um, before I even addressed soccer. And then uh, the other thing I had to address was, was my staff and my expectations of my staff. Um, I mean, we all know we've, we all have had, you know, assistants that have worked for us or with us and uh, we have to be on the same mindset and thinking alike and, and identifying the same types of players and knowing how to, you know, issue scholarship the right way and, and have that kind of uh, that connection from a soccer, from a, from the soccer eyes, right? We have to have the same soccer eyes, the same soccer mind. There's always going to be things that, that you may not entirely always agree on, but you always have to be on the same page. So addressing that with your staff right away um, and what we look for um, or what I'm looking for, for my system, for my players, for my culture, um, that's, that was the first thing I addressed. And, and I did that. I was lucky enough to, to be hired on, on January 6th and head to, to Sanford on January 7th for ECNL. And I took both the assistants at, at, at the time, the one assistant had, had stepped away recently just to pursue other career choices. But I went with both assistants at the time um, to really see, you know, okay, how do you guys think? Here's how I'm thinking. Can you get more to where you're looking through my eyes now and thinking through my brain? But, you know, my brain's sometimes a scary place, so I don't want them up there all the time. <laughs> Right. But, um, you know, there's there's just things that you need your staff to be cohesive with and and you need your team to be cohesive with. And that's, you know, the culture and, and the culture is not only just with the players. It, it does have to come from the staff as well. So if we're preaching it, we got to be living it. So well, that's kind when, of when you go to the culture side of it, what was and, you know, you know, we're, we're living in the day of, of COVID and, and things like that, where a lot of our things have been in zoom, you, you had a few opportunities to be with, with your players right before this all happened. Uh, you know, ha, what's, is there an initial conversation with each player? Is there an initial conversation with the group, then each player, like, did you inventory kind of what their thoughts were? How, how was that? How was that culture kind of the first step of it? So, um, you know, in, in my interview process, actually, for, for the job, I was uh, fortunate enough to get to sit with a lot of the players. And um, you know me, I'm, I, I'm pretty comfortable in social situations. So uh, I flat out asked the players, you know, what they felt was wrong, what they felt. And, and not in the standpoint where I want them to, to take it out on the previous coaches or, or anything like that, but from the standpoint of, you know, why did you feel like things needed to be better or what made you feel like your year wasn't as complete as you wanted it to be and i asked them that i sat over lunch with them for two hours and um and i heard from each of them that that were willing to sit and there was about 10 of them so when i was you know fully hired that was like stage one of planning like okay these are the this is how this team is thinking right now this is how i need to flip it 
And, um, and when I got here on, like I said, I got here January 6th, the kids came in on the 23rd and it was then again, individual meetings, uh, to pick their brains and then, you know, team meetings, group meetings. So then I would bring the seniors in and talk to the seniors and I talked to the juniors and I talked, so I got them all in their little cohorts and I talked to them and to, to get, you know, their perspective through the eyes of their class, right? So what do the seniors think? leaving what do the juniors think you know so we went through all of that um and then it was just a matter of okay what i really brought out of it was it, positivity um you know and and that's what they were really lacking so um you know i was you know you guys had you had john markey on on the other week and and we talked at length about a lot of things in terms of establishing culture and um you know i I ran by the idea of, you know, establishing a novel study with the, with the team. And, and, and we both kind of did it, to be honest with you, we, we, we ran with it, uh, with our programs and it was very successful. We, I made my team, uh, read collectively the energy bus by John Gordon. Um, and the, the response I got from it was tremendous. So it is now the kind of the live by book that we have. And that's, you know, led to now them asking, can we read another book? Can we read another book? Can we read another book? Um, and then now, now that that's established, all the incoming students now have the responsibility to keep up with the rest. So um, that was the biggest culture thing was the positive mindset and being on the same page and kind of, you know, common goals, rowing in the same direction or like you're on the energy bus, everybody's kind of going the same way. Awesome, John. Yeah, that's great. Uh, love the energy bus. Glad you uh, read it as a team. Um, that's a, a good reading material there. Um, my question for you is kind of a follow up there is that you kind of had to retake and rebuild the culture at Andrew College, you said as well. Did you do anything? Did you learn anything from Andrew that maybe you did wrong? Or maybe you felt like I could do that different to help build the culture here at Texas A&M International? Yeah, um, at, at Andrew College, you know, it, it's different. Junior college to, to NCAA Division II is, is different just in the, in the types of players you get. Um, and, you know, having – you kind of – I think my mistake to, to be, you know, to reflect and things like that would, would, would be that I almost, you know, I over-expected over – or I expected more, right, than – than I probably should have. And it, I don't think it was a, as fair as it could have been for those players, especially coming in, like I said, with, you know, throwing together a team in three, three and a half months. Um, you know, I, I focused a lot on, um, a lot on, on things that didn't make their experience as enjoyable as it probably could have been in the beginning. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't like to give credit to myself at all, but I, I did end up recognizing that partway through and I completely flipped their mindset. And, and, you know, after having a mass exodus before I got there of 16 or 17 players, the retention from when I left, uh, every single player returned. So, um, you know, it was, it was important for me to recognize that kind of mistake in the beginning and say, okay, you know, maybe I'm too hard here and my expectations are too high. 
but I need to I need to keep this these kids here to establish the culture so that there's now success in the years to come. Um, and that was that was an important kind of learning curve for me. And it's it's hard, you know, as for us as coaches to really say, am I doing this wrong? Like, because when we get an idea and we go for it, we're pretty committed. We're we're all fairly stubborn. If we're head coaches, we're stubborn in in some sense or the other. I know my wife tells me I'm stubborn all the time, but um, you know, I, I think you know, taking a step back and really looking and saying, can I do this better? Or maybe I did make a mistake there, uh, and and kind of own up to it and and flip it and and try to really make the best of what you have in front of you, and not really being like you know, sticking to your guns. And, and sometimes you, you just got to admit, admit defeat and go on the next one. It's like running a session, right? If something's not going well, you're not going to drive it home and waste the rest of the session. You might just have to scrap it, move on to the next activity or adjust it. Right. I heard Erica in, in one of the podcasts talking about, you know, I always seem to be moving cones, right? I always seem to be adjusting my area. So um, it's, it's the same thing. You got to adjust your area. You either got to make it bigger or smaller. If, you know, if I'm speaking metaphorically, yep. I just wouldn't compare yourself to Eric too much though. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. Get your cones, get your grid sizes down and know what they need to be and you'll be good to go. No adjustments. John, going back to you, you brought it up the self-reflection part of it. And, and it's such a great point because I think, I think we've all done it and I did it at, at Johnson Wales for sure. You know, I think there was moments that you wanted to add everything, but you didn't take into account that it, like you said at Andrew, you recognize that recruiting needed to be the first aspect of it, like getting the players there, getting, you know, and then you can add whether it's the social media, the promotion, whether it's the game day experience, whether it's the sports information aspect of the website and things like that. So it's just little aspects about building a program that, that, again, when I reflect on it, I'm like, I, I probably should have been a little bit more patient at the beginning. And I would have been, you know, where I was at year four in year one or year two. So I kind of held myself back a couple of years. When, as a coach, whether it was an assistant or a head coach, when have you found it kind of that appropriate time to maybe self-reflect? I know it's always as a coach. I think we always do it, whether it's training session, after practice, going into a session, we always self-reflect, Hey, what can I do into this session? What can I do better next session? But as, as a college coach, I always joked with people. I was like, I, I was a fantastic coach by the time ended end of November, mid December came around because I knew everything I should have done and everything I should have fixed. <laughs> so it was like, it all came to me where I was like, Oh, this is what I should have done. Whereas in, I tried to figure out moments throughout the season, but is there one time where, you know, maybe it is December, maybe it is November after season. Is there a time that you kind of pick or throughout the season that you pick that self-reflection and you can kind of take inventory of what, what works, what didn't work? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have key moments, obviously, you know, you want to reflect after a game, you want to reflect after a, a, a season and, and, and those things like that. But I think, I think, um, I think you almost, for me, I almost set aside a time every week to look at, okay, how did that week go? And, you know, what did I, what did I try to want to get, or what did I try to do, but didn't do? Um, and then what did I do and then do wrong? Um, you know, at West Florida, Joe and I would, you know, we'd, we'd hop into 
to the office or the locker room on just like a, a day that nobody was around and we'd kind of just sit and, and talk about, okay, you know, how are we going to address these problems or, you know, what did, what did, what did we miss last week that we should have done uh, in order to prepare or, you know, are we pushing them too hard or it, it, you know, the biggest thing I learned from Joe is always address the problem with the solution. So he, he taught that, you know, he, he taught that to me very early. He'd sit, we'd sit down and he'd go, okay, what's our problem? We know what it is. Now what's the solution? And, and it was very much, let's solve it before we go to the next one. So, you know, we, we worked, uh, we worked very much in terms of the, you're not finished with what you're trying to do until you're hundred percent done. So you can't, you can't spread yourself thin, so to speak, because that's when you start to kind of neglect certain areas. Um, and that, that's one of those things that, that I really took away from him in terms of the reflection is how do we, how do we address every problem to deal with it and get rid of it? Because you don't want to half deal with it and then it comes back or it becomes nagging. Um, so, you know, I, I now here at Texas A&M International, uh, we, meet, we meet weekly, not only just to plan for the week, but to look back at what we've done. Um, you know, it could have been when we met in, in March before everything started to shut down, I would look back to the beginning of February, like, okay, how have we progressed and how have we gotten better? Did we, have we done worse in the last week? So we, we really tried to, to talk about kind of the full spectrum and make sure that we address and solve every issue before we can start going on and, and, and fixing the next thing and the next thing. So, um, and I, me, I, think, I think bringing in players sometimes is, is a good, you know, good aspect of that as well. I think one of the, one thing that I got from uh, talking to Jay Ant, like at Columbus state one time, uh, at ODP region camp was he, he did a leadership committee and I started that um, a couple years ago and we just met on our off days. Like we just had two players from each class, seniors, you know, seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, and we met for 30 minutes every Monday, you know, while that, you know, we found a time in between their classes. We didn't take up too much time. We just kind of, you know, and then maybe did what you, you and Joe Berlinski did was kind of, okay, we met with the players now, you know, not that they were just being, bringing problems to them. Maybe there was a week that we were, you know, nothing was going on and, and things like that. But it definitely allowed them to kind of voice some of those those aspects that, that you know, maybe you can kind of write, you know, put in the right direction as a coaching staff. Yeah, I think I think it's super important. I mean, we, we actually did adopt the, the leadership committee. Uh, we actually have multiple committees here. We have a leadership. We have a community service. We have an equipment. We have a so we've got multiple people that have, you know, multiple responsibilities. Obviously the leaders have a little bit more and then, you know, being a part of the leadership group, they then get put into the other groups to make sure. So that's part of being a leader. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely do have that, um, you know, establishing that fairly quickly was a bit tricky because you don't, you don't know the kids as well as you probably should uh, coming in in January. Right. And then, you know, two months to pick a leadership group is, is a little bit tricky, but you know, if you, if you, you can bring out a lot of qualities 
in a short time to really tell, you know, how kids are. And, and then you look, a lot of it is you can look at their grades, right? And the grades usually could, can tell you a fair bit about, about them. So, um, yeah, we do, we have, we have a group of five right now and we're looking to add one more for the, for the season coming up. But yeah, we, we look at, at leadership groups and, uh, and they they contribute a lot in terms of the, the team health, the team mental health and, and kind of, you know, we ask them, you know, how, how are training sessions for you guys? Is it too much? Is it too little? Are you being pushed? You know, how's our attitudes? What's the energy like? We talk about all of that with them. Um, you know, and then we did it in zoom during the, the, during the COVID season. Right. So we would do weekly and, and with zoom there's flexibility. Plus they're not in class as much. So, um, it was definitely a big opportunity there to get them on uh, and get them really, really, really enmeshed into being a part of that leadership group. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I, it's, I just bring it up just because I do it with my, I don't have necessarily a committee with our club players as well, but I do have, you know, those two or three captains that, that I rotate through club that I have, I ask them that question before practice and sometimes after practice in terms of, you know, where, where do you need me to go as, as a coach? Where do you need us to go as a team? Because in club, it's sometimes even harder to influence the culture and the, the dynamic because you've only gone for twice, you know, three times a week. Whereas in college, college soccer, you have them every single day. You're monitoring their grades. You're contacting them about different things so that you said it earlier, you're doing it with your everyday habits as a head coach. Like they're going to see the culture because you're going to, you're going to, you know, implement it. You're going to be, you know, the, the first one doing it. I think club, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think it's always good to have that, that conversation with the players and kind of get their input and their thoughts. It, it also gets that trust built as well. Yeah, that one's, that one's, you know, the, the club is, like you said, it's tricky. I mean, I, so running into, tying it into what I'm doing here now in Laredo with, with uh, the Laredo Heat Soccer Club is you know, we just started a, a college prep academy here. Um, and, you know, you're getting, you're getting a lot of players that a lot of their exposure to soccer has been through just school soccer, whether it's middle school, high school soccer. Um, the, the senior levels of girls soccer in, in town here um, doesn't have much of a club presence. So uh, to start that and, and really get them in and, you know, you start by telling them your vision and, and you really try to get them on board. You're almost selling a product to them a little bit. Right. Um, but the thing is, once you sell them that product, now they're watching you like a hawk. Right. So it's like, is he going to follow through with this or not? Because, you know, they're, they're paying to play. Um, and they're, they are paying for a product, but, you know, we, we had that talk actually today at club practice in terms of, you know, we've got our, our senior group and then we've got our sophomore freshman group and, uh, you know, the, the sophomore freshmen naturally, you know, need a little bit more guidance cause they're a little less mature. Uh, so I had that talk with the, the older group today saying, Hey, you know, you guys have a big influence on them because, some of them you go to high school with, they play with you, they look up to you. Um, and you guys need to set the example up here for them so that, you know, they can, they can follow you. Right. And, and that's the biggest thing is, 
if you can connect the classes or the the players to each other then you have then then you start to establish culture because now you have kind of a, a, a net, right? Where everybody ties into each other. And it's like a it's like a spider web, right? So it's got multiple points of contact. So if you're contacting a lot of players, then you have a net there that seemingly holds things together. So John, you've you've kind of spoken a lot about culture and trying to the team culture part of it and implementing change. Um, but I think another part that we, we kind of needed to hit on is just like the tactical parts of change or the, the changing the style of play, right? Um, how do you go about that? How do you implement that into the program? When do you look to make those changes? Um, you know, I've seen all too often where coaches just jump in and say, I'm a 4-3-3 coach and that's what we're going to run, you know, or I do these certain things. We're a high-pressing team. That's what we're going to do. Um, you know, um, how do you implement that change? What should it, what's your advice to coaches in, in making those kinds of changes within a program? Yeah, uh, do it gently. It's, it's got to be done very, very gently, um, especially if you're coming into to somewhere where, um, and it could be at the club level. It could just be like they've been with a guy for four years. Um, so it's very, it's kind of very relative to both. But you got, you have to do it gently because it's, it's like, I'll use a Canadian reference here. It's like jumping in an ice cold lake, right? It's going to shock you and you're not going to like it. And you're going to want to get out and run, run back into the warmth. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to tell them what you're going to do, but if you throw them in and you say sink or swim, they won't respond well. And, and more so, um, you know, they're, they're looking to you for, you know, support because they've just been kind of left. Right. So um, whenever there's turnover they're they're looking more for, you know, is he going to kick us all off because we don't play the right way? Uh, you, so there, there's a lot of thoughts you have to really think about in terms of what's going through their head. So, um, you know, you've got to do it gently, but you've got to introduce it to them. What I, what, what I'm comfortable doing with, with the players that when I step into, when I stepped into the program um, and even at Andrew was I showed them um, a lot of film on what I was going to try to accomplish. Now, when I first started training, I just, I didn't throw them into my system and say, this is how you're playing for the rest of your life with me what I did is I let them, I let them play the way they felt they wanted to play that way. I could see, okay, what are the qualities and is, are these players going to now fit into the roles I have on my team? So I can watch how a player who thinks they might be a, a forward, how they play, what are their tendencies and things like that outside of my system to see where they might fit in my system. And then I can slowly start to progress them into that, next role on the field that I might have for them, whether, whether or not they have qualities of a forward I'm looking for, or maybe they're, they're, they've got more qualities for a marking back, or, you know, maybe they've got a better quality to be a target as opposed to an outside forward. So there's, there's a lot, you know, it, it, they could be a better nine, but they like to play as an 11. So we look at, we look at all of those, before we start saying, okay, you know, you're going to go here and now you've got to learn it. 
So there's a lot of, for me, I like to differentiate. I come from a teaching background. So it's all about differentiating it to them and really showing them uh, multiple ways of what I'm trying to present to them. So it could be on the field, it could be on the board, it could be on film, it could just be verbal, it could be in a, in a packet. Um, so they get a lot of different media and a lot of different exposure as to what I'm trying to tactically do before I even start to do it. I, I think that's awesome. The fact of uh, playing the video of the, what you want to see them do is, is awesome. Um, my question for you, for our coaches out there to kind of learn, what level are you trying to show them the video of? Do you have, are you, you know, are you doing NWSL games or using, you know, something from the Premier League or, you know, what are you trying to base that off of so they learn the best from? Yeah, you give them, you, I like, I feel like, especially for, because I'm in, uh, I'm on the women's side, um, you know, I like relatable, right? So the more you can show them that they can relate to, whether it's, you know, division one, uh, NCAA soccer, uh, whether it's like you said, NWSL, um, if you've got uh, a lot of players who are, you know, who love to watch soccer, then you can start to show them, you know, the, the La Liga players or the, or sorry, the La Liga teams or the premier league teams or, you know, the, the French league teams, you can start to show them them because they can relate to it because they watch it. But um, if, if they're not watching that soccer, then I try to always make it as relatable as possible. It could be just a very good division two team. There's a ton of good division. There's a ton of good NAIA teams that play the right way and there's film out there. Um, so if you can find it and you can show it, and they feel like they relate to it, then they're more interested in watching it and taking notes. And, and you know, they're not as annoyed when you stop and you start to talk tactics and you pause it. And they're not just thinking, oh, just keep playing it. They're like, oh, this is cool. Let's, let's really look at this a little bit more in depth. No, that's great, John. Would you, I guess, can you explain maybe some of the differences that you've experienced and, and this is at the club and college level for everybody the difference between taking over programs and being a part of programs where you're building and then taking over or being a part of programs where you're 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 pretty much going to a program that has players there you know they have an established um roster they have they have kids that have you know been playing there for whether it's a year or two years or a kid that's a rising senior obviously i would imagine that you have that at texas m international where you have kids that have been here for three years and they're going, you have them in your senior year. What are some of the differences? Um, you know, and even if you want to discuss some of the positives and challenges things, because obviously, you know, um, you know, those, those come with it as well. Yeah. When you, when you step in. So for me, if you're starting from scratch, um, you know, obviously there's the challenge of having to start from scratch where you've got literally nothing. Um, but at that, you know, uh, the, on the flip side, a, a nice positive to that is that you really get to make the choices from, from selection one to selection 20, 21, 22. So you really have an entire say on what's coming into that program, whether it's a club program or a college program. So, um, you know, 
there's always challenges when when you're starting from from nothing. Now, I've I've been fortunate enough to, you know, Andrew was very much as close to nothing as I feel like I probably could have gotten, and and it's not a dig against it's not a dig against the athletics program at all. It's more of like, that's just that, that's what was left. There was three players left. So, you know, um, you know, for me, I had basically a blank slate. Now, depending on when you start with that blank slate can, can definitely impact a lot of things and the, you know, the type of player you can get and, and things like that. But, um, you know, going into somewhere where there is something established. So you have, like you said, there's seniors, rising seniors here. Um, they've been in with the program for three years with the previous coach. So I'm, you know, I'm the new guy, so to speak, to their world. Um, so you've really got to, you know, you've really got to teach the old dog new tricks there at that point. Um, you know, it's, you're definitely more, you're more able to flip the sophomore because there's less of a tie there. Yeah. They were recruited by the coach and they played for the coach one year, but you know, if you're, if you're playing your cards, right, you're going to be there for a, for a good amount of time. So they're going to get excited to be with you for the next three years of their life. And then, you know, you know, the rising junior, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of on the fence, right. Cause they've had two years of the previous coach and, so you've really, it, it all comes down to personality and you've really got to, to be good at, at reading people and reading their personalities when it comes to the players, because not all of them think alike. You know, one could be very loyal to the previous coach and the other could be very open to change. So you've got to really read the personalities and then, you know, psychologically, you have to, you have to be able to talk to the ones that are, are super, super loyal to the, to the previous coach and really say, Hey, you know, we respect what, what, it, what, what the previous coach has done. We respect uh, all the dedication and time you've put into this program. Um, now we need you to finish off strong and we need you to kind of come to what we're trying to do. Um, and you do have a huge responsibility being a senior. All seniors are leaders. Now, whether, whether or not they're in that leadership group or not, there's a different story, but you know, all seniors are leaders. I have a leadership group and then I have a senior group and they all have a say in the more important day-to-day -day things that go on with the team because you know, we, there's a saying uh, we had at, at West Florida was um, freshmen have a lot of problems, sophomore have some problems, Juniors have no problems and seniors are your problem solvers, right? So that's, you need those seniors. You need a good core behind you. Um, and they all need, like I said before, they all need to kind of be going in that same direction. So to focus on, um, you kind of have to focus on the seniors because it's, they've got a lot of pull. Um, and, and then from there, like I said, the soft, the rising sophomores they have, they're a little bit easier to, to get on board. And then obviously the kids you bring in, they're, they're already kind of the mold you kind of want them to be. And now you just need to, to, you know, sand the edges down a little yeah. bit.
Yeah, and it, it's it, you brought it up perfectly. It's that it's that ability to read people, th those relationships, value those relationships. Because I've been a part of both sides as well. Where you know, when you come into a program where you're you're the new you're the new person, they're looking at you like you're the one that's new here, not us. <laughs> um, you're the room for error is I found probably a little less. Um, you know, you have, you have everything that, everything you say, not that everything you say doesn't matter in, in, in regular terms, but I think when you come into a situation where the players have already been there, whether it's the club setting or the college setting, it's, it's one of those environments where you do need to, you know, kind of like what you said about tactically, you do need to make sure you tread gently and you make sure that you, they understand that you value them as a, as a player and as a person. And I think you do need to value what you say and how you implement things. And, and you said it perfectly with the tactical aspect of it as well. It's making sure you, you go step by step, you gradually do those things um, and you don't just wipe away everything that they've done. And then I've had the moments where much like you and Andrew, where you were building a, you know, building a program with, you know, very few players that returning my room for error was probably a little greater just because those kids coming in believed already what we were going to do and what we were, what we were looking to do. So, you know, I was, I would say my, I was able to make those coaching mistakes and those leadership mistakes sometimes with a group that had come in that, that I recruited and brought in, whether it's the club side or the college side, because they've already bought into that vision. They had already bought in that stuff. Whereas in those minor little slip ups, maybe your session wasn't this, you know, maybe, maybe you just, you know, didn't didn't approach this game right or tactically or anything like that those things weren't as magnified as when you when you go into a situation where players are already there yeah and and you know to to add on to it uh, a little bit is when you're when you have a good uh good assistant that you're very confident in it is such a, an amazing resource to have because even now I, i'll send you know we'll have our assistant run a, a good part of the session and that lets me actually just people watch, right? So when he's interacting with the players, what are the, what's the body language? What's their attitude? How are they responding? And you can really get a good feel on what the, what the players are thinking, what they're feeling, how they are in, in the exercise and, and how they are just overall in terms of their, their kind of mental well-being. So to have somebody – and that goes all the way back to the beginning and having an important staff, like the importance of staff and being on the same page. If you can, if you can send your assistant out there to run 30 minutes, just so you can observe, you know, and, and it's not like observe, I'm going up to the press box to get in the air conditioning because it's 115 degrees out here. It's more of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be right beside him, but I'm going to watch. And there's such, you can get so much out of just, you know, watching and listening and, and really just kind of just stop coaching for a second and really see what these players are all about. So yeah, John, uh, good assistant. I've, uh, um, don't want to brag on myself here a little bit, but my, I'm, I'm helping out with the high school program and the, the head coach is letting me run sessions so he can do that very thing right now. Um, he's also using it as a time to kind of build the connections with the players and make sure they're on the same page. So, uh, um, you know, I've been able to see that firsthand and, and have that, you know, part of it as well. Um, my next question for you, John, kind of comes from uh, the coach that realizes change needs to happen. 
He's been there, right? Maybe the team's hit a plateau. Maybe some things have happened. Um, how, how would you recommend coaches go about that kind of change that, you know, they're not new to the program, but they realize through self-reflection and, and through certain things, talking with the leadership council that some things do need to change. How do you recommend a, a coach go about that? Um, that's, that's, so if you, if, and that's usually occurring what, when, when, you know, maybe you're on a little bit of a losing skid or, you know, maybe you, you've, you know, you've qualified for the conference tournament four years in a row, but you lose in the first round every time, something like that. Um, you know, if, if you're on, if you're, if you're in season and you need to change, you got to do it. You got to do it right away. And that's more of like, you know, you got to rip the bandaid off pretty quickly because when you're in a season, whether it's a club season or not, and you need to turn it around, you've got to do it quick. You don't have a lot of time. I mean, even at the college game, we get nine weeks. So, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't hesitate. So to speak, you've got to, you've got to plan, you've got to do your research but you've got to come, you've got to come in strong and you've got to make sure that, that everybody's on board. If everybody's on board, it's easy to implement change. Um, and, and it's just a matter of, again, making the change that you feel is going to get your results. You know, it's part of coaching. You, we make changes. It's not the right change. We go back to the drawing board, but you've got, you know, if your players are, if your players are, are believing in you, then you've just got to rip the bandage off and say, hey, we're going to make this change. Now, if it's, like I said, the other example being, you know, it's at the end of the year, you just lost the first round of the conference, but, you, you know, you've made it. It's a, that's a good transition period um, to start implementing, like, a long-term change, right? So you, you, can, you can really plan. Um, maybe it's a different brand of player you need to bring in. Um, maybe it's the overall you know, system that you're looking to play. Maybe you were a high press team and you just kept getting broken. And maybe you just need to be a little bit more tactical and sit back and really try to wait out a team. Um, and those require different players. So if you're looking for, you know, a, a bigger change, kind of something to, to get you to that next level, you've got to do that in, in, a, in a moment of transition. That's usually, you know, as players are leaving, as players are asking to transfer or, you know, after you complete a season and maybe sometimes you have to part ways with somebody. Um, but those are, those are the, those are the two moments, you know, they're one extreme to the other. The other one's very, you know, you know, methodical and well thought out. And the other one, like I said, is like a, like a bandage, you got to rip it off, but there's gotta be some reasoning behind it. You can't just, you know, throw caution to wind Sam playing with five forwards. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there there's technically you can <laughs> yeah. but you know you know we just you just can't throw it you you've got to have you got to have some some basis for it right but yeah technically you can it sounds like you have before i, re I remember playing a 424 against ed once before i was going to say i remember eric coming at me strong <laughs> numbers when he was down in a game you know yeah no i mean you bring up great points john because i mean i think We've all had to make them. I think it's, it's that, you know, whether it's club or, or college, I've always had those moments where my team just needed something different. You know, like I think in college, 
we had moments where we lost a lot of one goal games the year before. So the next year and even the years following that, we made everything a competition at training, you know, in terms of there's consequences for losing games and obviously benefits to winning games within practice. So we made everything about pretty much winning and losing and obviously differentiating the, the, the weight of, of winning and losing in regards to, to what it meant. So I think, you know, but there's also moments where you do need to build that trust where, like you said, you need to rip the bandage off and, and say, hey, we're going 4-2-4 right now, and you got to believe me. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, in that instance, again, Ed, it didn't work. But uh, <laughs> it was, you know, there, there's got to be that built-up, almost that bank account where you've got enough deposited in your players that when you ask to withdraw, whether it's, you know, tactically changing or, you know, somebody's sacrificing minutes or their position, you know, there's got to be something in that bank where they're like, okay, coach cares about, you know, me as a player, me as, me as a person, me as, a, you know, developing. Um, I think there's a lot to, to, to what you said in terms of that, the two differences of making changes and really, really evaluating when you need to make those changes. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important, like, you've got to know when to change, right? Um, and, and sometimes it's tricky. I mean, I think, you question yourself a lot in certain circumstances. And I think back to my first year at West Florida, where, you know, we were in the regular season and the conference tournament, we were 20 and 0. And you're like, what do we change? You know? And, and you really try to look at like, are we, are we pushing them too hard? Are we not pushing them enough now? You know, so you're, you really, it's delicate because after 20 and 0, it's one and done. And unfortunately for us, it was, um, and it, you know, it still hurts today. And that was two years ago, two and a half years ago. But, um, you know, there's, there's a time to change and there's a time not to, it could just be that maybe they don't need change. Maybe they just need to, to sort it out and deal with the adversity themselves. Um, and you, you know, to put your faith in the players, you wouldn't believe, uh, what they can do when, when you just kind of say, Hey, come on, you know, we don't need to change things. We believe you can do this. So, so there's a time where you know, maybe it's not, so you've got to really, uh, you've got to really assess whether or not change is appropriate in that moment. Now, yeah, like you said, if you're down a goal and you got to go four, two, four, um, you go for it and hope you don't get countered. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think we got countered and, and I think, I, and I'd like to hear Ed's take on, on this question as well. And, and as a, maybe as a group and because we've all seen it. So, I mean, I think if, if we all had a recommendation for maybe do's and don'ts when you go into taking over a program, whether you're taking over a program that you recruited the players in at the club level or the college level, um, or you're, you're taking over a program that has its players there in a program, I think we've all seen it. We've all seen coaches that unfortunately maybe lose their team on day one and it's, and it's, and it's hard to recover. You know, I think, you know, we're in a profession where, you know, it, it's very, it's, it, once you make that, that one, that one error that your team kind of maybe pushes in one direction, it's kind of hard to come back from that and regain maybe that trust, you know, I, I guess what's your guys' opinion on maybe some of those initial do's and don'ts. I've always, my, my don'ts when you take over, some of the programs that I've seen, it's burning down what they've done in the past and negating what they've done in the past instead of really 
embracing it and just understanding that you need to grow upon it and, and develop upon it. You know, I, I see a lot of, you know, coaches get into programs where all they want to do is, is talk about the bad stuff of the past where, you know, and I, and I don't know if that's ever, I've never seen that necessarily work where you just torched the, the past and is like, well, I'm here to make it better. And, and you didn't really, they didn't really gain anybody from that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, 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 you know, because when you, when you talk about the negative parts of it, maybe there's, there were some positives for those players and you're only, you know, hurting their own feelings towards whatever it was. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's a, a great point. And I think something as coaches we can all live with is that they're there for a reason and that we can use that as building blocks and we can really build from it and talk about it and, and figure things out. Um, my big don't is don't bring your ego or pride in, um, you know, don't go in. I made the mistake of, Oh, we're going to win a conference, you know, well, there was, they weren't ready for that. That We didn't have the personnel. I didn't have the recruiting. I maybe kind of like you, John and Andrew, this is when I was at Iowa Wesleyan. Um, we small school, small private school, not a big budget. Um, and you know, I was like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to be winning games. And we just didn't have that. You know, we, I had to temper what my expectations were with what reality was. Um, you know, it's kind of like telling the girls, I need you to cross the ocean and here's a dinghy to do it. Right. It, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, and so that would be, you know, my big don't is, is make sure your ego and pride don't get in the way of what reality is really offering you. Yeah. You know what? It's, 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 it's funny you say that it's um, the ego is you just got to be realistic. Right. Um, and, and that's that, you know, it's, it's humbling to a degree. So, you know, that's, that's definitely like, don't bring your ego into it. And, and, and that's, that's, you know, follows up into kind of the next one for me, a, a big don't is, you know, don't not be flexible, right? It's like a double negative, right? But, you know, it's, it's don't, don't say that, you know, this is the only direction we can go. Because when you come in like that, you, you're going to have to bend a little bit because they're just not used to you. And if you come in and you're the drill sergeant and it's, you know, stomping around my way or the highway, if you don't like it, get the heck out. That's not going to, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. Um, and then to continue, you know, for a do is, is just be firm, but fair. Right. Because when it all boils down to it, whatever program you step into, you could have 25, 30, 17, all those eyes are watching you and what you're doing every day. So you've really got to be, um, you've got to be firm in what you're trying to establish, but you've got to be fair and just and, and relatable in the sense of that, you know, they, you come in and they want to like you because you're the new, you're the new top dog, right? So they, they want you to be uh, meeting their expectations. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I brought that up because you guys bring up such great points. I mean, Ed, I've, I did what you did in terms of I just, you know, I had those expectations and it was maybe expectations of myself or where my program or my club team, my college team should be. And when they didn't meet it, I, I, you know, I felt like it was to blame them. You know, obviously it was internal. I know you never outwardly did it, but it was, it was, it was almost a disappointment where, you know, really I should have been, you know, a little bit more, uh, patient in the building process, things like that. And obviously, 
John, the, the, the fair part is, is such a great point. I mean, I think everybody wants to be, you know, on a team, they want, they want to be treated fairly. And I think that's, that's everything that, that a coach should do. It's, you know, obviously you have to earn that fair treatment, you know, don't be, don't be the one that's 15 minutes late to practice every day and, you know, expect to be treated the same way as the kid that shows up, you know, 15 minutes before practice and is doing some extra work or 30 minutes before practice doing extra work and, and then, you know, never, never late. But um, I guess when you go into evaluating as a coach, evaluating opportunities, you did it at Texas A&M International, you left, you know, you obviously took a job from being an assistant to a head coach, um, you know, going from Andrew, you're starting an, an academy, at, you know, down where you're at now in terms of club aspect of it, the training environment. When it goes from in a coach's aspect of evaluating what jobs or what programs to take over, what really goes into, into that consideration uh, in, in those aspects? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wide spectrum. I mean, the first one, first one for me, when I speak to moving the, moving like my career, which is coaching college, you, you always look at the family aspect, you know, I've got a wife and, and two awesome kids. And, um, you know, that's always the first thing you think of, you know, what is it good for them? Um, and then, and then from there, you've got to really, you know, you're evaluating that school from top to bottom. You're evaluating the, the athletics program from top to bottom. And then you're evaluating the, the soccer program from top to bottom. And, you know, you've, there's, you've got to set yourself a checklist of, of non-negotiables uh, that, that need to be met so that you feel like you can be successful, whether it's, you know, what's the school like? So what are the facilities like? What is, you know, what's the budget? what's your schedule like what are the teams like in is it a hard conference do you feel like you can be successful in the conference all these things have to go and there's like that's four of probably about 400 different questions you can ask yourself when you're evaluating you know whether or not you want to step into that program what are the players like are you watching film on them before you even you know decide to take a phone interview uh, you know, are you watching the other teams in the conference? Again, what's the town like? Is it a town that you feel like you can, you can bring players to? Uh, is it a town you want, again, going back to the family, is it a town you want to bring your family to? Um, what's, you know, again, there's so many, so many different aspects. And then when you look at the club level, you're looking at, okay, you know, what are the struggles the club has had? You know, who are you asking questions to? Are you asking, you know, other clubs in the area that they compete with? You know, what do you think of this club? Uh, you know, DOCs will talk and, and they'll let you know if they've had interactions with those clubs. Uh, a good one, but, uh, you know, it's a slippery, a slippery slope is talk to the parents in town. Ask them what they think about club soccer and, and things like that. Uh, I know before I started here, I pulled every, every player on my team. I asked them about club soccer in Laredo. And then when I was at the high school games, every parent I, I would walk by, uh, I'd ask them about, you know, club opportunities in town or in the area. And, um, and they'll tell you, they'll be on, I mean, you know, you take it with a grain of salt with what some of them say, but, um, you know, they'll tell you a good, they'll paint you a good picture 
of of what things are like so that you can kind of really make that that education educated decision i'm excited to see what you do over there um you know i think you you brought it up you guys brought it up and, and john you brought up great point it's it's really being comfortable with the foundation and your philosophy of coaching you know i think it, as long as you always have that that foundation that you feel comfortable with you know i always had those moments where you know maybe as a coach or even as a person, you thought you, you didn't have a good day. But then I always sit back. I'm like, well, I'm like, I really, my, the foundation's there, which is I had the best interest of our players in mind. So I think those were, those were always things that I always fell back on. I was like, yeah, maybe my session wasn't as, you know, Pep Guardiola-esque as I wanted it to be, <laughs> you know, and it, and it fell short. But, you know, I was like, well, you know, my, my, my intention was, to do this, 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 and I still tried to make it a positive experience. So now you just need to improve on it. So I'm really excited to see and, and keep following you guys. And uh, obviously, John, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us and, you know, obviously taking time away from your family and your two kids and your wife to, to talk with us for, for a bit and uh, give us your insight. And, and like I said, I appreciate the vast insight that you have from, from your experience in soccer. It's uh, I've always found that you and I always had great conversations. So I'm glad we can do it uh, on one of these episodes and, and, and obviously, uh, you know, good luck to, to your team and good luck to your program. And we look forward to catching up. Thank you guys. I appreciate it a lot. Our weekly show is brought to you by athletics view, whether it's soccer, football, basketball, and many other sports, you have a memory to share. Let us help you share that gamer match through film via our video production. For more information, visit athleticsview.com, spelled V-U-E, or follow them on Instagram or subscribe to their YouTube channel. All right, back. Uh, as I thought, I know you and I both thought uh, it's going to be a great topic. Uh, enjoy talking to John down there. Uh, don't envy his 190-degree heat, though. Um, but uh, – uh, I guess that's why Laredo has their name, the Laredo Heat. Um, but, you know, John provided some great insight there. I think uh, some good things that we talked about in there is, is you know, what I liked it, how he talked about – he talked to the players there, was able to kind of get their uh, thoughts and, and didn't discount it at all and then tried to build a, a culture around what their insights were and, and such. And I think as coaches, we have to value the, the player's input as much as we can uh, to really institute change and to make sure that we're moving in the right pro- – um, you know, right process. Yeah. And I, and I also liked what he mentioned about just being confident, you know, confident in yourself and really, you know, building that foundation and that philosophy, you know, and, and the reason we talked about the, the confidence aspect and, you know, because there are going to be days that you, you come back as a coach and you're heading home as a coach and you just didn't feel like you did it, did right by your players, whether it's in training, you know, the, the setup in training, or even just the way you maybe communicated with them when, when you're taking over a program, but really understanding that being confident in what you're doing, the foundation of what you're doing is, is right. You know, you're valuing your players. You're, 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 you're worried about them. You're taking care of them. You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe a session doesn't go as well as you want it to, but as long as the foundation of, of your philosophy is there, I think that's important. Yeah, I think that's uh, something for all of us as coaches, right? It doesn't matter if we're taking over a program or starting a program or whatever. We have to have a solid foundation and be, believe in ourselves um, because that's just going to get the players to, to believe in us as well. If, if we're always kind of lacking or questioning ourselves or struggling on things, it, it, you know, it can hurt us as coaches as well. 
Um, you know, and I, I think that, um, you know, John did a great job of talking about how he communicates with people in the community uh, and how he can build the, the programs and how he can get a better understanding, especially for his Laredo Heat Club, um, making sure that he can provide a quality program and ch make the changes and institute what needs to be done to create a quality program there. So I think he's done a great job. Um, you know, he's only been there, what, six months, eight months, mm -hmm. something like that through COVID, most of it. So uh, it sounds like he's really using the time, though, to make connections and try to do the right thing at the club and college level uh, for his players. Well, he said it best. It's reading people, you know, it's really knowing, you know, maybe sometimes what buttons to push and, and how to how to really communicate with 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 people, whether it's players, whether it's parents, whether it's support staff, whether it's assistant coaches, um, you know, and I think those aspects of taking over a program are, are so instrumental for success because I think, you know, there's, there's some people that there's some coaches and even maybe not coaches, you know, leaders, whether it's, you know, directors and things like that, that just go in with one mindset and, and don't really take into account that those relationships matter on the way, you know, and, and those, those people need to have those commu that communication and, and bridge, bridge that communication. So I think, you know, and then, and then you brought up the great question and, and obviously John talked about it, the ability to, to maybe self-reflect and really take inventory of, Hey, you know, that didn't seem to work this week. Maybe th next week we try this, whether it's energy, whether it's organizationally, whether it's, you know, the communication side of it, you know, having those moments, especially when you've just taken over a program to really self-reflect and take inventory of what maybe worked and didn't work. Yeah, and I think I think throughout coaching, it's and the most important part is the self reflection. I think honestly, and um, you know, I think we can all learn from that. And and uh, I also think that you know we need to depend on mentors. Um, I know you you know you talk to John, and you have your own Zoom group, and we all have our own coaches that I think we can lean on to um, to really get some ideas on how we can make change and make sure we're making appropriate change and not just changing for ourselves or changing for the wrong reasons, but it's to really better the program that we're, we're with. Um, so I, yeah, I, I really appreciate John's, you know, insight and his background and knowledge and, and, you know, his commitment to develop the total player and making sure that he's looking out for them over just himself. Um, you know, it was a great conversation. I think something we can all walk away from learning.